I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray. And today we have a living legend, a person I consider a mentor, always in the background. You never hear him, but you always, you always see him. He sneak up on you and give you one little piece of sound advice, a coach and mentor to many people that we consider great today. Uh, he's been the force behind black tennis for a long time. We got the pleasure of being here today with Willis Thomas. Willis, welcome. Thank you, Kamal. So, man, you you hiding out in Florida now. You know, I hear when, when, when people retire and they put their miles in and they earn their years, they earn their stripes up in that D.C. area, they move to Florida. Well, that seems to be the place to go. It's been pretty cold this winter, so I'm glad I can. I'm in Florida. It's just a, a good place to retire to. As a tennis coach, I always wanted to be able to retire. I didn't want to be feeding balls until my 80s. I didn't want to do it, so I'm thankful. Now, you know what's funny is that one of the things, when I decided to leave my corporate job, and go deep into you know coaching tennis full time. One of the things that made me a little insecure and a little nervous was the thought of retirement, because very few organizations like when you out there you're working for a nonprofit or you're working in the park and you kind of running your own show, you don't really have a four hundred one k, right? You know what I mean. So coaching in the tennis circuit where a lot of people are independent right? Uh, working in the parks, maybe traveling with a professional player. It doesn't come with a 401k. When you, were, when you were traveling with some of the players you thought, did you ever consider that? Did you ever see it as being a real risk? Oh, no doubt. It was a real risk. Um, but it was something that, uh, you know, that, that I wanted to do that I think needed to be done. And, you know, you have to take chances. Plus, the girls weren't making that much money in those days. So even if you got paid, you didn't get paid that much, just enough to kind of survive. But uh, I would do it all over again. <laughs> yeah. Now, you talk about the girls. You are famous for coaching, you know, Rodney Harmon, Katrina Adams, Laurie McNeil, and Zena Garrison. Tell me a little bit about Rodney, because right right now, Rodney is considered one of the best African-American, if not one of the best coaches in America now, currently at Georgia Tech, having a ton of success. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good coaches were always raised by good coaches. So that's a testament to you that he's considered one of the good coaches. But Rodney seems very poised and controlled now. Tell us about Rodney as a tennis player. Was he the same or did he have that wild streak to him? 
No, he wasn't. He didn't have a wild streak. Uh, actually, he he loved tennis. You know, uh, Rodney was the type of kid who he lived in Richmond and I lived in Washington. So we had to coach over the telephone. I would tell him something and he says, okay, I'm going to go work on it. And I said, but Rodney, it's raining down there. He said, that's okay. I can hit on the wall. <laughs> so he was one of those types of players who didn't let anything stop him if he wanted to, to, you know, improve a stroke or, you know, um, you know, change a serve. He let nothing stop him. He would do it until he got it. Uh, he was one of those types of players. Though they are easy to coach. You just mentally have to make sure that they stay together. Uh, a lot of people can play, but they can't keep it together, you know, so. That's generally what I did to all of the players that I coached. I was more of a mental coach. I learned that from Dr. Walter Johnson, who was, who was the only coach I ever had, who coached Arthur and myself. He was a mental coach. He wanted you to toe the line mentally. And he was a good, uh, he lived it. I mean, you looked at him and you just wanted to be God, how can you be as strong as this guy, Dr. Johnson? But he put those mental things in your head and always coached you mentally. So I always coach sort of mentally. Uh, when I coach Zena and Lori, uh, they already knew how to play. But you wanted to try to make them better. But you could only do that if you improve them mentally. So tell me about Lori, because Lori was famous. I mean, she had, you know, deep runs at Wimbledon. One of the, I mean, quintessential serving volley, could chip and charge. You talk about women, like, yeah, when I, when I think of Martina Navratilova, I think of also Lori mm. McNeil in terms of being able to chip, move forward, had touch, was always poised. Uh, tell us about Lori McNeil. She's still kind of that way, you know, kind of soft-spoken, but when you get her talking, she won't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, Lori was a, a great athlete, just a great athlete. You know, she was fast. She could move, and you didn't see her moving. You know, one of those types of athletes. Uh, very smooth with her strokes, and, um, you know, she came from a lineage of professional athletes because her father was a professional football player. So I think that she inherited a lot of his guts and uh, she played her style. Even when you tried to sometimes change her style, you couldn't do it. She was wedded to that, putting that pressure on you, coming to the net and... Uh, even when it wasn't fashionable to come to the net, she's still coming to the net and uh, just a great athlete. Figured if I can get up to that net, I can flag any of those balls that are trying to go by me or over me. She was just an outstanding athlete. So one of the best athletes I ever coached. And you know, it's funny. We talk about her, you know, she was a USTA national coach and a lot of the girls mm. today, when I'm just out on tour and I'm listening to them and they talk about the camp they used to go to, Lori's name always comes up as somebody that left a mark on them. And I think, you know, that's a testament to you because I say you can't be a good coach if you didn't have good coaches. And yeah, Lori and, uh, and one of the best. Yeah. And Lori also learned from one of the best too, and uh, John Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. So, 
who was also the top coach, I learned a lot from John myself. Well, we worked together for a long time. And so, you know, she had a bevy of coaches, not just me, but uh, she had John. And when you go back and you start coaching other people, you do coach in the same way you were kind of coached yourself. And, mm-hmm. and then Zena. So I, I I heard a lot of stories and really got a lot of insight about you from Zena Garrison. Back when I was coaching mm-hmm. alongside her, she would always mm-hmm. talk about Willie T and, you know, Willis, you to get on my nerves. And, you know, Willis, he just would not <laughs> leave me alone. And he would just press me and press me. And, and that kind of thing. tell us about, yeah. you know, when you think about the single success, obviously Zena of that bunch probably had uh, the, the most success. Tell us about Zena Garrison. Well, Zeno was tough, and I've always said the good players, they are tough. Zeno was mean. <laughs> I mean, she would, <laughs> she, but, you know, to try to show her how to to use that in her tennis, that's what kind of I did with Zena. Zena, don't change your personality. You are what you are, but mean on the court don't be mean to me (laughs) you know what I mean and and she was able to do that I mean she won some matches that were just I mean fabulous matches and uh she was just a tough tough young lady uh you know and and I just had to I used to always say well what did you do with Zena I said well I just had to get her ready to be on the court you know, not by her strokes, but calm her down. You know what I mean? And uh, get, her, get her ready to go out there and try to work on somebody and try to really hurt them because uh, he was one of those mean type of players, you know what I mean, who would just bring it to you, you know what I mean? And, and the first time I met Zena, she was playing doubles and, she would just take that forehand and just knock it at those little girls. She was about 12. And I said, God, she's just hitting right at the girls. You know what I mean? She, she was just uh, one tough cookie. And uh, showing her how to put that into her tennis game and incorporate all of that into her training. She could train harder than anybody I've ever seen. And, uh, so uh, those are some of the things we had to do. But uh, like I said, mainly mental because they could already play when I started coaching them. They could already play. Rodney was the only one I kind of coached from a kid all the way up. So I can say I was responsible for some of those ugly strokes Rodney had. But, uh, <laughs> but then... <laughs> Over the phone strokes that Rodney had, and uh, but uh, Zena was just tough. He was tough. So showing her how to just put that and you know use that when she played versus use it off the court. You know what I mean? Be nice off the court, but keep that mean streak for on the court. So let me ask you because you know I've been with some players and it become match day, and you're right. Mm-hmm. You could tell either the nerves. Or maybe it's not, they're not feeling as confident that they could get mean. Did you, mm-hmm. so on, on match day, did Zena's meanness show up when she started? You like got to stay out the way because she on a rampage. Anybody that's in her way. Yeah, you had to kind of, you know, in working with girls, you just have to be clever. 
you know, boys, you can hit them right between the eyes with something that, that you want to say, but you can't do that with girls. You know, you have to be clever in how you uh, get them to understand what you're trying to get them to do. You know, and so with Zena, depending on the day, depending on what type of uh, cleverness you use, you know what I mean? But of course, once she got to the court, uh, she was in good shape. <laughs> I said to get her there. <laughs> now I remember uh one summer it was city open. And you know, with, with with these jobs and these long relationships, they can go up and down, and you know, they always get tough, and you know you just stay together. But you said, Kamal, you ain't a real coach till you get fired. And you said, Zena fired me three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that experience and why she would well, let you bring you back. Well, it, it was it was the experience of uh, you know I believe in something. I believe if you do it this way or if you act this way, that you get rewards from it, and they think different. So you get to that little point where you're not agreeing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On how this should be done. So you have to separate just to. You know what I mean? To well, you have to really because once uh, you know they're so mad at you that they can't play. <laughs> they, you know they're going to put it all on you, so you almost have to. But w- what happened with Zena and I? We never lost our respect for each other. You know, it's like Zena knew I had to go because she knew I wasn't going to put up with some things that were going on. You know, even to keep my job. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? And and that's why I say if you never haven't been fired, you really haven't been a coach. All you've done is go out there and tell the girls what they want to hear or the boys or whoever you're coaching, what they want to hear versus what they really need to hear, which sometimes uh, can, you know, cause a little uh, problems in your relationship. You always say you got to poke the bear. If something needs to be said, you better say it. Because when they get out on that court, yeah. it's going to be too late. And yeah. you're going to wish yeah. you had said it. Yeah, as a, as a coach, you just have to do it, even though, uh, you know, it could be repercussions. But you have to, you wouldn't be a good coach if you didn't tell them what you think. You know, and sometimes what you think and what they think will clash, no doubt about it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. <laughs> so I heard that uh, you were old school. So every day at Wimbledon, you know, you're famous for getting up and reading the tabloids and having your coffee. Is that true? Did you, <laughs> did you like some of the British tabloids? Oh, yeah. I used to like to read the tabloids. I'm a, I'm a sort of a reader anyway. I read the paper every morning. I still read the paper. I can't read the, the Internet. <laughs> so I, but I can read the paper. I'm a page turner. So, you know, that's just something that kind of 
let me know what's going. I always wanted to know what's going on where we were. Even some of the uh, French papers. I mean, I could gather something from just looking at it, even though I didn't really know how to speak French. <laughs> I still read the paper, you know, and uh, you, you can get something. At least you can look at the pictures. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, it kind of got me ready for the day. You know, uh, knowing what's happening in the world, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. gets me ready for the day. Now, you were doubles partners with Arthur Ashe, and you know, Arthur was just so instrumental in just tennis in general. And you know, most people don't know that he started the NJTA, the National Junior Tennis League. Um, I mean, he had instructional videos. He had all of that. For those of us who, you know, maybe didn't have the privilege to really get that close to him and get to know him, uh, tell us about him. Because when I was growing up, my friends used to make fun of me. They used to call me Arthur Trash because I was real <laughs> kid with a big head. They were like, yeah, yeah. you're like Arthur Ash. We're going to call you Arthur <laughs> Trash. So t- t- tell us yeah. a little bit about your time with Arthur. Well, my time with Arthur, you know, that occurred when we were really young, from like 12 to 15. You know, we played doubles together. We won a lot in the in the American Tennis Association, and we played Kalamazoo and, and some of those matches. We would get to the quarterfinals sometimes, uh, but we never won it. But Arthur was a uh, – he was just one heck of a player. Um, I've seen him – in those days, you know, playing against, uh, uh, you know, the white players, that that was different. We usually didn't do that. So he was a kind, he, he could be mentally tough, even to those who were trying to oppress you. I, I couldn't see that. I was a little scared of him. Yeah, the oppressors and Arthur would be just as tough to them. To give you an example, we were in New York one day playing the Eastern Junior Boys at uh, Forest Hills, and Arthur lost to this kid pretty easily. I mean, like three and three. And you know, Arthur was like you say, he was a small, skinny kid, so the, the guys on the team would always tease him. Uh, but uh, he, the next week, two weeks later, we were playing. In Kalamazoo, he drew the player in the first round, the same guy who just beat him. So, of course, we were teasing him that he's going to lose because all of us have already lost. <laughs> and Arthur, Arthur, Arthur beat the boy six love, six love. I mean, just cold-blooded killed him. And when I saw that, I knew then that this guy had something that none of us had and that uh, he's going to go a long way. I didn't really know until I saw that match what he, how he destroyed that boy. And like you say, playing against white people all the time, it was, it was kind of hard. You know, they look good. The strokes always look good. We had our homemade, uh, homegrown strokes and <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so, but it never, never, Feared Arthur. He just went out there and just tried to kill him if he could. So after that match, I knew he was going to be just a great player. 
he always knew what he wanted to do when he was 13 or 14. He said he was going to UCLA. And we used to tease him and say, you're not going to UCLA. And he used to say, well, oh, Jackie Robinson went to UCLA. I can go to UCLA. So he always thought of himself in those terms of a, of a Jackie Robinson. You know what I mean? And he was a Jackie Robinson of tennis. And uh, it's, it's just, as you look back and you could see all the signs that uh, he was going to be one of our great players. So when was the, you know, when you're coming up with juniors and you're playing with a pack, right? You know, there's everybody mm. kind of seem all the same. You're traveling together. And then there's always like a summer, like a three-month period where one guy sort of just separates. Yeah. When was that? And what, what, what do you think caused that separation? Cause I, you know, all of you guys were kind of the same traveling together and then all of a sudden Arthur just seemed to just take off. What, 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 well, difference? Yeah. I, I think it is like you say, it was mentally. Cause some of us, uh, if you look at us, you say, God, you're, you're great athletes. I mean, y'all look much better than Arthur. You know what I mean? As far as, uh, athletically. But mentally, we could not catch him. You know, for a kid at that age to be able to control himself mentally. When you played a match against Arthur, or you played against Arthur, he didn't say nothing. He never said a word. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He never uttered anything. You never knew whether you were getting to him or not. Mm -hmm. He would never let you know then he'd end up doing all the getting. You know what I mean? It's like you destroyed yourself trying to find out how come he's not upset over that good shot you just hit on him. You know what I mean? He was that type of person, and he could really just mentally get it together and go into that zone and not come out until he won. And that was hard for young younger kids. You see that today, right? You see, when I look at a lot of the slams, right, or even a lot of the finals, and you see, obviously, both players playing well enough to get there. Both players are in shape. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. And then you just see one person just sort of hold it together. What do you, do you see this generation being the same as the, 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 the Zena Garrison era, Martina and Zena and Chrissy. Um, because to me, it seems like, especially on the women's side, we don't have a consistent champion other than Serena, right? They sort of trade in tournaments every week, gets a new champion, mm -hmm. a new, you know, mm -hmm. a new winner. You know, do you, right. what do you think about what that says about the game mentally? Well, I know in the women's game, um, for a woman to keep it together as long as, say, like a Serena did, uh, you have to put in a lot of things in your life on hold. You know, you have to put it on hold. And some of them don't have the ability to do that, to put it on hold, mainly the, the relationships and stuff like that. You got to put it on hold where, you know, men can have, a, you know, a girlfriend in every port, as they say. <laughs> you know, but the the women always had to put that part of their life on hold. And I think some of them just couldn't hold long enough, you know, to be that person who's going to be 
perennially winning all the time. And I think that's what you have now. They get so much money for these girls. They can live a little while they're making money, you know, where the other and back during Zena's career, you had to save your money because you weren't making that much money, you know? So you, 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 you couldn't go out here and do all the things that, that you might've wanted to do. So it kind of kept you a little close to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't get far away, far away from the game, but these the girls today, they're making so much money. It's easy to, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, get away from the game. Now you spent a lot of your immediate years now working with the Washington Tennis and Education Foundation, working with the youth, working with, uh, you know, kids in the inner city that are trying to give this game a shot, right? Trying to get exposed to this game and like love it. Um, you know, I also have the privilege of, you know, doing the same thing, right? Just working with kids and staying close to the game at the younger age. Tell us about your time at the WTEF and how rewarding that was. Well, you know, working with the kids, uh, a lot of fun. Most of the time, more fun than it was out there on that pro circuit. But I always, uh, I found out early in, in my tennis coaching career that tennis could help some of these uh, kids in these challenged neighborhoods, could help them in a lot of ways. Number one, it was an individual sport, and they don't play m- many individual sports in, in the city, in the inner city. You know, we might have track, but that's about it. So it was a, it was a, it was a, individual sport and we also work with them on the using the acronym I always use never no dumb tennis players. So if you like tennis, you're a smart person already. So it was just to to use the how the tennis helped them in their classwork because taking a test is like playing a match. It's the same thing. You know, so you could use some of the same terminology that you used on the tennis court to help them also with their schoolwork. And my job wasn't to make them champions. I I wasn't looking for a champion. I was just trying to get them through high school without (laughs) going to jail. You know what I mean? So being an individual sport, if they took to it, you know, you really, the individual sports can really grab you where you fall in love with it. Some of the kids fell in love with them. Uh, and if you're doing it in the community, the younger kids can't wait until they get a chance to be on the team so they can go on the trips and do the, some of the things that you're doing. So, I mean, those are the things that, that I like doing most uh, was working with those kids and seeing how tennis helped them escape some of those uh, perils of the neighborhood. And uh, that's just something I did most of my life. Um, I started tennis to make money, but when I found out that how tennis helped those kids, I, I took a vow of poverty. <laughs> <laughs> and I had more fun helping those kids than, uh, you know, helping the kids who could pay you a lot of money. You know? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, you, you know, you, you definitely had um, the opportunity to work with some great players, even though they were kids at the time. I remember a long time ago, you were telling me about Malkia, Claire V, um, and now you see them, you know, out there yeah. playing now. Malkia's in college, Claire V, mm-hmm. you know, now is probably one of the most promising American juniors. So you yeah. see the the impact of having – Tennis in the inner city. And no doubt about it. How, you know, you don't know at when they six, seven, eight, nine that you are gonna be touching greatness. But you know, you gotta just keep trying. You saw Clavie at a young age, didn't you? Yeah, I saw her at a very young age before she started playing tennis. And um uh, of course she always wanted to do what her older sister was doing. So later on, she became to really like tennis. She didn't like it too much at first, clearly, but uh, she began to love it. And uh, all she wanted to do was play tennis. Of course, she wanted to beat her sister, but uh, (laughs) her sister didn't have anybody to, you know, to kind of want to beat. So, you know, how the younger ones usually turn out sometimes to be a little better than the older ones because they're a little hungrier. You know, and uh, so I think that uh, seeing kids like Clara V and uh, uh, the other girl was in our program also for a while. Um, I can't call her name, but we've had quite a few people who have started and then gone on to better programs, as the parents would say. But uh, they started right there in the neighborhood. So you got like a lot of talent now in America. So you got Coco Golf, you got Claire V, you got um, Sloan, Madison. I mean, just, you know, we are rich with uh, Robin Montgomery. We are rich with like African-American talent right now. Um, What would you, what advice would you give them? Right, because the game from a diversity standpoint made a little bit of progress, but still got a long way to go probably not enough progress. Um, there's still going to be, you know, one out of 10 at the tournament that's black. Um, what advice do you have for them to try to help them have long careers um, without straying too far from home, from who they are as person, as people? <laughs> and that's the hard part. That's the hard part because they get immersed in, in something that's in, not like anything else in the world when they get on that tour. Um, I think that's the hardest part. My answer to them was to, you know, have a good group around you that supports you and uh, keep you grounded in who you are. I see a lot of cases, some of the African-American girls, uh, they get up and they seem to lose sense on who they are. You know, uh, and if they continue to 
to work on continue being yourself, I think they have a better chance. Well, man, Willie T, Willis Thomas, the legend. I uh, I appreciate you coming on to the show. I know you retired. I know <laughs> you're hard to find, and you know <laughs> we're taking into your golf time right now. But I appreciate you coming <laughs> on the podcast. I couldn't let Black History right. Month go by without spending some time with you and taking us back through time with some of the people that you just had the privilege of being around, from Arthur to Zena to Cat to Lori. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Cat yeah. before I let you go, though, because yeah, you got you to know, talk about Cat. Grew up in Chicago, <laughs> and yeah, she was always, I think, fit to be president. Right? She enjoyed mm. networking. She enjoyed talking to people. Where you know, people like Zena and Lori was like, "All right, I'm going back to the hotel now." Tell tell us about Katrina. Are you surprised at the success? Well, we no, we're not surprised at all because we used to always say that uh, we know Katrina is going to get one of these big jobs in in the pro arena or you know the USTA. We just knew it because she was a natural. She was just a natural for the job, you know. um, her parents had taught her real well how to speak and talk with people, and uh, and she enjoyed it really. You know, you could see her enjoy uh, showing what, as a black woman, yeah, I've got talents too. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, it was it was it was real fun to see her uh, grow into some of those positions she had, and. Uh, it was just uh, something that we always said she was going to do. So, but as a player, uh, she was a good player too. I mean, she's also, you remember, most of these girls, we're talking about Zena, Lori, Katrina, they're playground players. They learn to play on the playgrounds, you know, not from clubs or taking lessons. They, they learned how to play on the playground. So they come out with the playground games that have to be refined a little bit. But Katrina had uh, had a game that I think if she was a little healthier, Katrina wasn't the healthiest person in the world. And she would always kind of get injured if she, you know, put that 200 percent into what she's doing. So I said if it wasn't for that, she could have been, I thought, a a great player, you know, I saw her at Wimbledon one year, uh, have Chris Everett down in the fourth round of Wimbledon, have her have her down in the third set, but she lost it. You know what I mean? And uh, just playing tough tennis. So she, she's a very tough kid. And, you know, you just love Katrina. Everybody loves Katrina. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> she's one of those type of people. And very loyal, one of the most loyal people I've ever met. You know, you don't get much loyalty out there on that tennis circuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an individual sport, so they're trying to kill you, right? It's like, I need, you know, I, I need you to lose so I can win. That's kind of, yeah, you know, it, it yeah. is one of the few sports where, you know, if you lose and points drop off, even if right. I didn't win, my ranking right. improves, right? right. So right. it is one of those sports that does breed a mentality 
to want to see the other person lose so that you can win, right? The points disappear. They don't, you know, they don't get to the quarters again like they got last year and the points drop off. So there is, and there's ranking incentive for right. other people to lose that you're not even playing against, right? You keeping track on their tag. Right. And so I, I right. do think that part of the sport creates uh, a level of competitiveness sometimes that, you know, might be a little bit unhealthy. But, um, you know, the, the, these people we talked about on the call always, I think, you know, what makes them greats and keeps their name sort of relevant today is that they always want to see everybody else win and we'll always want to help somebody else improve. So you oh, included, man, I really... I really appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've given me over the years. And I, I didn't want to let Black History Month go by without pulling you off that golf course and getting your story <laughs> out there. Well, thank you, Kamal. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the, the things you're doing. You're really uh, taking it to another level. Yeah, well, I appreciate you. This has I been a Tennis.com podcast, and we have had the honor of talking with Willis Thomas. We'll see you next week.